Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth's podcast is every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing you his unique perspectives on football, the personalities that surround it, and just about anything else he finds interesting. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bobani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we get you set up for the NFL playoffs. Plus, you tell us about that time you ran up against a future pro in athletic competition. But first... All right, so... um. We had NFL action this Sunday. We got through the week and we got all the good news in the world that we could have reasonably expected uh, from DeMar Hamlin. Like that was a big feel good thing for everybody. It's not very often that we get something out here in this game that allows us to all feel good. But I mean, that's what happens when we all think we saw somebody die and it turns out that he's alive, right? And man, we got right back into football mode immediately once we found out that uh, DeMar Hamlet was going to be all right. Like, how fast did we get back into football mode? We got back into football mode even faster than I think we would generally expect that we would get back into football mode. And we got there so fast because DeMar Hamlin woke up and did the most football thing you could possibly imagine. He wakes up. They told that dude that he almost died, but it's cool, and he didn't. And his response was, did we win? Now, of course, for football people, they heard that and was like, hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about, right? That whole moment came. That dude was on the field, damn near died, everything else. And they was like, he came back, was like, yo, so did we win? Yeah, man, see? The game is the most important thing in the world. Like, when you go back and watch them clips on ESPN and everybody's smiling, like, man, he woke up and he wanted to know if they won. And my immediate thought was, damn, that is wild. <laughs> wild, I tell you, wild. I mean, wild in the sense of how we all look at this and the level of importance that we all place on this. Now, again... This goes back to something that we had talked about last week that I feel like I and everybody else does need to be honest about to an extent. Part of the charm of this game is how damn important it is to everybody who's involved in it. Like this just isn't one of those things that you can do if you only care about a little bit. You can't even be the kicker if you only care about it a little bit. You got to care about it a lot in order to do this. It's just too dangerous otherwise for you to not get into it and have like that real level of investment in it. But when I heard him come out of that and be like, did we win? Writing it down on a piece of paper. I admit, I was just kind of like, oh, that's that's who and uh, what we are, huh? Oh, okay. But he said it. And so that meant we got to the weekend. And so I watched... Um, a lot of Buffalo, New England, in part because it had like actual real live implications and everything else. I'm going to be honest with you. 
I ain't even bothered to try to figure out that uh that home field thing, the neutral site thing, and all the stuff they're doing with the game. I I I didn't even bother to go through it. Talk about something that didn't really matter at all, right? Like they had to figure something out. Okay, cool. The damn Bengals out here ready to burn it down because their fate might be tied to a coin flip. And I totally understand where it is that they're coming from. I do wonder, though, how hard a fight they would have put up if the dude that almost died was on their team. And I don't say that with any level of judgment. I'm like legitimately wondering that because they're like, look, okay, he's alive. Great. Back to the lecture at hand. And then they want to try to figure out what, what the whole thing was. Like I said, everybody, everybody like got back to where it was and what it was. And part of us getting back to where it is is that we get right back into like football narrative stuff, right? We get back into the construction of the fairy tale. Because honestly, we really need a fairy tale surrounding this to kind of take our minds off of the brutality in a lot of ways. We don't treat basketball as a fairy tale in that way. We don't treat any of the other sports quite the same way as we treat this. Okay. So, um, game goes, kickoff goes to the Bills. They run that thing all the way back. And it was just, can you believe it? How much better could it get? And then the Patriots were like, hanging tough in the game. I was trying to figure out what the hell we was going to do if the Patriots won. Like, hey, man, we had already started building the fairy tale. They ain't really got no fairy tale. That is, and then they lost the game. Like, it's not, I don't recall reading that one. I can't think of the proper parallel uh, fairy tale to that one. But the Patriots came out there, and they hung in there a little bit. They made it happen. And then Buddy went and ran back another kick return, which, again, like, ramped up the fairy tale for everybody outside of the Boston area. Wasn't no fairy tale about giving up no two damn uh, kickoff returns in the same game. I bet Patriots fans were up there like, yeah, Matthew Slater, got to get him out of here. You know, I don't. that was a terrible Boston accent. I don't really get there. Dan's over there judging me for the fact of it. I don't live in Bristol, dog. Y'all be around them people. You got a little bit more of a chance, you know, what I'm saying, to do that. Like, uh, my bad. I can only do a Boston accent if I'm cussing. Like, that, that, that sounds familiar and in a way that I understand uh, when it comes to Boston. But I guarantee they wasn't out here feeling good about the Bills and they are well, you know, they had a tough week. Nah, man, y'all ain't going to make the playoffs. Like, that's the way they looking at that. And they've been getting the brakes beat off of them by the Bills outside of torrential, like, terrible weather recently. They ain't trying to hear that, right? But we went there because that's what we need. That's what we want. That's what allows us um, to keep doing this. I was actually kind of surprised as I was watching Mac Jones not look terribly bad and watching the Patriots make some moves through the air. There is this other element, if we're getting back to the football part of it for the Bills, that is worth noting, which is they are down a corner. They are down a corner in a playoffs where they're in the quarterback conference. Like, it's really wild how the AFC has kind of become what the West was in basketball in the sense that it's a bit overloaded over there and with this it's overloaded in a way that I don't know how exactly it's going to wind up changing because again it's the quarterback thing the AFC has got all the quarterbacks so we look at who's in there uh the Dolphins honestly I don't know who plays quarterback for them the Ravens I'm assuming that Lamar Jackson is going to come back uh the Chargers they got a quarterback counterpoint they're the Chargers can't forget that part. They are who they are. 
Um, the Bengals, we know their quarterback game. The Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence didn't play particularly well on Saturday, but that's the quarterback. Patrick Mahomes, like, they're going to need to cover some people. And they're going to need to cover some people, and they don't have um, Von Miller to rush the quarterback. Like, if you want to talk about the actual football things, if Buffalo does win it, oh, it's going to feel like some measure of fairy tale. Because they're just not really built and equipped to get this done right now in a year that I think all of us believe was probably their best chance to win a Super Bowl literally ever. Ever. Like, I was around for those four Super Bowls. They only really had one that any of us went into thinking that they had a chance to win, and that was the first one. Outside of that, it wasn't going down. There wasn't a chance. By the way, I am realizing um, as I talk about this, that dad, you have a three one five area code. This is this is a little. I didn't. I hadn't thought about how close to home this might be for you. Well, you know, I'm a Giants fan, but yes. most of my friends are Bills fans. So I grew up with those Super Bowls, and like you said, the only one that the Bills fans really thought they were going to win was that first one. Oh yeah, you I mean, were there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, nobody thought they were beating the Cowboys. Let's be this real. Is, this is, no, you on. know, you know the logos. Let me tell you something I did the other day. I kind of felt bad about it, but I just it was one of those days, right? So some of you guys have seen that I go do these uh, hits on um, CNN once a week. And so the thing about it is, it's for the morning show. But I'm just there for like eight. Like I'm there to be on screen for eight minutes. But I got to get there at like 7.15, 7.30, whatever the time happens to be. And I've been doing this work from home thing for a minute. You know what I mean? And on top of it, I ain't had to like be nowhere in the morning consistently in quite a while. So anyway, I'm in there one morning, and they had me get there like an hour before I had to be on. How you think I feel about that? You know what I'm saying? So I'm in there. I'm grumpy. I don't want to be there. It's some dude that's in there. I don't even know who he is. And somebody comes in and starts making conversation with him, which is fine. I'm pretty good at, like, tuning out conversation being made for people. But he's a really big Bills fan. And whoever the dude was was talking to Buddy about the Bills. And he was so loud and so passionate about the Bills. I ain't never wanted to choke somebody out so bad in my life, man. Last thing I felt like doing right then was listening to regular people talk about football. And what I mean by regular people, yes, I'm talking about y'all, right? Y'all that's out here, the types that are listening to this right now. At 7 something in the morning, I didn't want to hear a thing any of y'all had to say about the NFL not a bit of it and then on top of it it's a Bills fan and so he got a lot to be happy about but it was that kind of tinge of angry Bills fan that was in him like you could kind of feel that and why would you be angry if you a Bills fan because you only a Bills fan if you're from Buffalo and that cold be making people mad Dan the nicest person I've ever met from one of these places that be so damn cold right tell your mama I said what's up Dan apparently she's a fine lady Bo, I always say, I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and I always say it hardens you for life. For <laughs> no. it, I mean, it just, it, it brings something different, right? Like, you go to Ohio, man. I was up there uh, last week. Long story. They were, they, the people I met were nice. The people that you just kind of see and walk around with, man, they just be mad all the time, right? They just, they, they, they so mad, they can't even figure out how to leave. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just, they just, they just be angry. They just be salty about it. And that dude... I don't know what it was, but then something happened, and I couldn't help it. And somebody brought some, something toward me, or maybe I jumped into conversation. And I was just like, 
The last thing I wanted in this world was to wake up this morning and sit over here and have to listen to somebody talk about the Buffalo Bills. Man, I ain't never, I should not have done this. I want to be very clear. It was very selfish. It was rather self-absorbed of me in that moment to do that. But I just had enough. Enough, I tell you. Enough. I didn't want to hear none of it. I have completely forgotten already how this tied to the larger ecosystem of what it was that I was talking about. Oh, 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 there it is. I imagine that guy will be very happy if the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl. That's, 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 that's I guess that's really the, the only thing that I'm saying. But it's not going to be like the kind of joy that everybody else can appreciate because unless you're in Buffalo, you ain't really meeting no Buffalo Bills fans. It doesn't really happen. You just don't really encounter them. Although the last time I was in Atlanta, I saw West Side Gun on the plane train. That did happen. I don't think anybody more recognizable than the Griselda dudes if you see them in public because he was putting off a buffalo hard. And I'm like, I can't think of no other black person that's going to put off a buffalo this hard while wearing so much expensive stuff. <laughs> I was like, I, I ain't going to lie. I ain't know which one of them Griselda dudes he was, but I definitely knew that like if your hair is that unkept, but your bread is that long and you from Buffalo, you must be a rapper. And he was. But anyway. Back to the somber stuff that I guess I was talking about before. This is the NFL. The party has to get back started. And this is the kind of game that we're going to have some really tragic moments at points. But if you look at the machine that's built around it, don't you worry. We're going to get you back ready for some more football as soon as we can. As soon as we get the opening. Like I said, as soon as people figured out that that dude wasn't going to die, whoo! We just went right back to it. And we got them signs in every stadium. We praying for DeMar Hamlin. We put the threes up everywhere. Like, I don't want to pretend as though that's not encouraging. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to act like that's not a reflection of something positive about the larger group. I think giving money to my man's toy drive. Um, like, I think, I think all of those things reflected something. I do want to point this out, though, right fast to Buffalo fans before we get out of here. Some of you know I've had my run-in with the Buffalo fans because I didn't buy into Josh Allen at the pace that they wanted me to buy into Josh Allen. Okay. So people call me a few names, all that stuff. Whatever it's life is the job I do. Okay. But I bring that up because Buffalo fans have this tendency when they feel... I don't want to say... Part of it is when they feel insulted but otherwise, it's just kind of like this thing got started when Andy Dalton played that horrible game that threw them into the playoffs in 2017. And why give any credit to Tyrod Taylor, who you were so busy trying to run out of, the, uh, run out of town because for whatever reason you disliked the dude so much, got you the playoffs for the first time in damn near 20 years, whatever. The way they showed their gratitude was to donate a lot of money to Andy Dalton's charity. Like that was their move. And it's something that Bills fans do a lot. I will not call you Bills Mafia. And the reason I'm not going to call you Bills Mafia, quite honestly, is it's cute when we call white folks a gang. When we do it, you act like somehow we just have this affection for criminality that is the explanation for our fate in America. So I don't play that Bills Mafia game. Y'all Bills fans. And that's cool. Um, but Bills fans just gave all the money to Andy Dalton's charity. And then when people were mad at me to show me that they were good people, 
they donated money to the National Diaper Bank Network. Um, and I work, you know, I do a lot of work with them to raise money. Great cause. Uh, you can look it up. Like I started a site called I Love Josh Allen.com. Not really the site, but I just use that domain and sent people to the site. And people donated a lot of money in the name of the bills. After DeMar Hamlin got hurt, we saw, or actually, I don't even know what to call it. Hurt doesn't feel like the right word, right? Um, but he had a toy drive. And people ultimately donated millions of dollars to that toy drive. But as I recall, before he fell on the field, he had only raised for that toy drive like a couple of thousand dollars. And I'm just asking, why did that man almost have to die for somebody to give money to his toy drive? You know, and maybe it's just a thing where you're not aware of it or anything else. or You didn't know that this was the thing that he was doing. But I do think that there's something kind of peculiar. And this is not just about Bills fans, because I think this could have happened to anybody else. But I do think that there's something kind of peculiar in the idea that it has to be this thing for you to come out here and do this. Right. Him just being on your team wasn't enough. Like that toy drive could have been up at the same time that I'm in the I love Josh Allen dot com phase. And you would give this money to prove something to me rather than just give this money to do something for the kids in the name of the team that you root for so tough, right? Not judging anybody for it necessarily. I'm just asking the question as to how it is that we wind up in a place that that's how the game goes. And I think that is something that is worthy of consideration because I'll admit, actually, I said not to judge. I found the, you guys are weird with that thing, right? And even when people were giving money to a cause that I was supporting, I said it. Hey, man, this is kind of weird the way that people do this. But just think about that. They could have been giving money to that man's drive for the longest. And next year, when presumably he's doing much better, are you still going to give money to his drive? Like, this is just for us, like, larger, how we decide that we're going to do something for somebody. I would hope that it doesn't just have to be in a wave, you know? But, hey, we was just in the wave on all of it. All of us were in the wave about that when it came to Hamlin, right? We were all caught up, like Foxworth said last week. We all just felt like we needed to do something. And on some of these things... We're going to need to do it even when we don't feel like it. And I just think that's something to keep in mind. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so the playoffs are here. <sighs> my Lions, man, my Lions. I was, I was really ready. I was getting charged up for the game that night. It was looking like it was going to be a win and end situation. It looked like the Rams were going to pull it off for us, get that win over the Seahawks, and then the Lions were going to be on win and end, and I was going to have something to look forward to for the playoffs. But my Lions... Not going to the playoffs. But my Lions did finish with a winning record. They did pull off. And you know what? I want to make sure I get this point out here for you. If you wanted to know why I got behind the Lions, look at how they played that game against the Packers where the Packers had something to play for and the Lions did not. They still went out there and they brought it. They still went out there into Lambeau Field and they made it happen, right? Can you understand why I would believe in a team like that after such a thing? Yeah, man, that that, that, that was some feel good. You know what I'm saying? Way to go here. And they coming off of all of this, they going to have the number six pick in the draft next year. All the optimism in the world. They might have sent Aaron Rodgers off to retirement. My man ain't even want to give nobody his jersey in the jersey swap because he says he wants to keep it. Do you realize how bright the future is for the Lions? But it ain't no future next week, so we off that right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm moving them to the side right now. I just, I, I, great season, fellas. And next year, I'm going to come back around. It's me and you and the Honolulu Blue. We're going to come out here, feel good about it as long as they keep winning. Now, with uh, the Lions out of here, I kind of need to find something else to do, right? Somewhere else to go. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I would like to root for the Dallas Cowboys. I would. My man Parker over here looking at me extra funny and all of this. Let me explain to you why I would like to root for the Dallas Cowboys. I would like. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I would like to root for the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Number one, I do still got, I mean, the black quarterback thing still does matter. You know what I'm saying? Even if it's the black quarterback that got his ass whooped at Panama Beach when he was in college. Like, oh, it's a little bit of a different paradigm with a black quarterback. But, you know, okay. Like, we got Dak. I know what you be going through, my dude. You know what I'm saying? And you be putting the Cowboys through it, too, sometimes. Don't want to pretend like it's not back and forth. But, you know, I know it, what he goes through. There, there's that part. Um, number two, though, and th- th- this is the team, not only the black quarterback, this black America's football team. I ain't never been no big Cowboys fan, but it'll make more black people happy if the Cowboys win a Super Bowl than anybody else. But number three, and this is a big one that I think gets forgotten about the Cowboys, okay? So I'm 42. For the first, I want to call it 15, 16 years of my life, the Cowboys were bad for 
two or three years. <laughs> that was it. Like, people don't realize that Tom Landry was Bill Belichick, where they were winning 10 games every year. 14-game season, 16-game season, it didn't matter. They Basically, for 20 years, they were a winning team, and then it dropped off a little bit. They picked it up. They got the Jimmy Johnson thing rolling. Um, but as a result, there is a generation of Cowboys fans who jumped on in the 90s because the Cowboys were the thing, right? They the people that root for the Cowboys, and they root for the Yankees, and they root for Duke, right? Because that's, that's what was hot at the time. Now, I'm going to be honest, man. If you're out here rooting for Duke, I really can't with you. Like, what you stand for, what you about, whatever. But you got to be real, man. If you stuck with the Cowboys for the last 25 years, you ain't doing it uh, as, as like a bandwagon jumper. There hasn't been very much payoff in this from Cowboys fans. Like, people treat Cowboys fans like they just folks that look for the easy way to win when clearly it hasn't been that easy for them. They are not just legitimate, hard-suffering fans. They are uncommonly loyal, right? And I say this about the Cowboys, and part of why I like to root for them is that if you ever go to a game at Jerry World, that tailgate is more representative of America than any tailgate that you're going to get anywhere. That crowd is more diverse than you're going to get anywhere, right? Like, I would like to root for them. But man, if you can't see the heartache right around the corner with them, I don't know what to tell you. You watch that game they played against the Commandos, it, it is abundantly clear, man. Ain't nothing good. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to get nothing good out of that Cowboys thing. So yeah, I would have liked to root for them, but nah, it ain't going to happen. Um, I'm a root for Baltimore because I just feel like I should. You know what I'm saying? Like, I am Team Lamar, and I've always liked the, the Ravens. Like, they get down has always been cool. They got, a, they, got a, they got a personality. They got a brand, you know what I'm saying, that I've always felt good about. Okay, so I, I could get down with rooting for them. Um, I would root for the Jaguars. I'm going to be honest with you. But you ever been to Jacksonville? I ain't root for them. That's all. I'm, I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, I can leave it there. Uh, the Chargers, oh, God, why would I do that to myself? Absolutely not. Uh, Dan, your Giants would be somewhat rootable. Um, they got dudes. I like Saquon a lot. My man Kayvon, Snow Angels aside, like, I've, I've, that dude's going to be a monster. Monster, I tell you, monster. And the Giants have not had a legitimate, like, monster on defense since Lawrence Taylor. And I say that, like, Strahan is a Hall of Famer, but Strahan wasn't a monster. Where you're just out there like, oh my God, did you just see that? Straight hand is like, damn, he got there again. You know what I'm saying? This dude is out here like, this looks terrifying. Like, straight hand, you looked up one day and you're like, damn, that's a Hall of Famer. Thibodeau, you look up and you're like, whoa, I think that dude might be a Hall of Famer. You know? But I've been living in the city long enough that the Giants are not, the Jets are more rootable than the Giants if you live here. I know that sounds crazy, but. That's that's really what it comes down to. They are a more rootable team. I ain't rooting for no Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, the 49ers, their whole thing is weird. Like, I want to do something later as they go through the whole playoffs. But these dudes traded away all those picks to get Trey Lance to only feel like they could still make the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. 
Like, no matter how you slice it, the Trey, the Trey Lance trade was bad. There's no other way to put it. It proved to be a bad idea. But I've gone through, oh, the Eagles, uh, eh, if it comes to it, I'll do that. But who's left? The Seattle Seahawks. Boys, think I might have found my team for right now. For right now. For this round. I think I found my team. All right, let me lay this out for you. None of us expected anything from them this year. I thought that they were going to stink. We all thought they were going to stink. But why didn't they stink? Gino, 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 Gino. Like, you want to talk about, like, the fairy tale. You want to talk about the feel-good story. We've talked about it a little bit going through this season. But I've got nothing comparable to Geno Smith. Nothing comparable to him. It's not just that they made the playoffs. He made the Pro Bowl. Like, and he didn't make the Pro Bowl after everybody decided they don't want to go to the Pro Bowl. He made the Pro Bowl legit this year. He had a season that honestly exceeded what a lot of people thought was best case scenario for him coming into the league out of the draft when people thought fairly decent things about him. All right? And it's his team, clearly, right? And this isn't a smoke and mirror situation. He got out there and he got this done, right? When nobody but maybe Pete Carroll thought that he was capable of getting it done. It's not just that he outplayed Russell Wilson this year. I think it's fair to say that he outplayed what Russell Wilson did last year. Like, they, they managed to upgrade in quarterback play. I don't think they upgraded in quarterback talent necessarily. But they managed to upgrade in quarterback play. They also have, like, the number five pick in the draft or number three or something crazy next year because of that Russell Wilson trade. But all right, we got Geno. They got a lot of young dudes that's out there that's making it happen. They crowd always gets loud and rowdy. Kind of like how Pete Carroll gets down in the whole thing. So I'm thinking that I'm a root for the Seahawks, at least in the uh, the NFC. The AFC, I'm going to root for the Chiefs. Why make my life hard? <laughs> Why make things difficult? I feel like they got a little bit of fairy tale in their story too. Patrick Mahomes overcoming, not having Tyreek Hill. You hadn't really heard of none of their running backs that they had coming into this season. Bringing Juju Smith-Schuster to life. Treating Travis Kelsey like he's an actual wide receiver. Not really having much of a defense to speak of. Yeah, yeah. And now that I think about it, the NFC is kind of black quarterback we got three we got we got uh three of them we got the eagles we got the cowboys we got the seahawks coming over here to the afc though nah dog all we got is pat that's it don't get me wrong and lamar oh we do have lamar that's it we got pat and lamar but come on man we know that's over soon <laughs> we know that ain't gonna last very long otherwise we out here i mean like I don't think, like, Tina Marie is the best comparison here. Or not even, like, Simply Red. But, like, we got a lot of, uh, what's my man's name for Journey? Steve Perry? 
Like what a lot of y'all don't realize about Steve Perry is that he's just trying so hard to sound like Sam Cooke. Like every Journey song is a Sam Cooke song. Like listen to Lights and then go listen to a Sam Cooke song if you don't get it and you realize like he's really, really trying to be Sam Cooke. And we got Jaheem Allen over here. You know what I'm saying? We got uh, uh, Jamal uh, Herbert down there in San Diego. And Joey Burrow, we ain't even got to change his name. We see what his get down is. You know, we, we got we got blackish quarterbacks over there in the AFC. But Mahomes, that's the real one right there. So there we go. I am rooting for the Chiefs. And I am rooting for the Seahawks. Until next week. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now. If you haven't heard. All right, Bomani, our first story today. Some would say it's X-rated. I would say it's triple X-rated. Hi, I'm Samantha Cole, senior editor at Motherboard, Vice's tech outlet. After a new law went into effect in Louisiana in the new year, people in the state can't access Pornhub without providing a government ID. The law makes websites that publish content that's quote-unquote harmful to minors, liable for minors being able to see their website, and defines harmful content as basically anything pornographic. It applies to any site that consists of at least 33% porn. So now, if you're trying to get into Pornhub and you're located in Louisiana, you'll see a message that asks you to log in through a site that collects your driver's license or ID to prove your age. The law was introduced by Representative Lori Schlegel, who recently supported legislation that banned transgender athletes from competing on girls' and women's sports teams in Louisiana. She claims that this new law was inspired by porn addiction, but people working in the adult industry say it's the latest in a long war against sexual speech online. All right, so I do think that the idea of the access to pornography that minors have is a thing, right? Like, I do think that it is something to give some thought to and just looking at, like, what all the online stuff is and the effect that it has on young people. I do believe that that's something that, you know, needs to be dealt with. And we need to figure out, you know, something to do about that. Um, I don't know if this is the way to do it necessarily. But I do know this. We about to find out just how bad people want this pono. Because I don't know about you. Uh, I imagine a porn hub is what one might term a legitimate business. But like if your business is selling nakedness. I don't know if I want to give you, like, access to a full-on copy of my ID. Like, if you just want to look at it to see the date, that's one thing. But you're going to take a copy and hold it? Like, like are those the people you... We go find out just how bad people want to see this pono. Now, number two, what I imagine is going to be the end result of this if they really do make it incredibly difficult uh, for the kiddos to get on there and get to pornography uh two things are going to happen here one um an increase in kids digging in their mother's purses and finding things that they don't want to see there is that right you're trying to get that id you know what i'm saying mom would sleep let me get this id so i can get this pono that's something stupid a kid would do you get that right so that's gonna happen but number two let me tell you what also things about to happen an increase in magazine sales might just have to go kick it old school, kids. Back when I was a youngster, from what I understand, 
somebody would find a way to get a hold of a magazine and it would just get passed around school. Parker, you're looking at me like you're a very, very young man who uh, never had to kick it old school uh, when it came to gaining access. It's a little disappointing. Okay, you guys didn't know. Got it. Yeah, no, that's it. It was just like East Bay. Rest in peace. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a whole bunch of kids that ain't never understood that it used to be rare to see some nakedness. You had to go through some things to see some nakedness. I remember the time uh, a dude came to school and said, I had turned the cable to channel 32. Now, usually, that was ESPN2. It had just came out, ESPN2. But it was wavy. And every, like, five minutes, you could see some naked. And until his mama got off work, he would just sit there. And just wait for the wavy to cut out. That's what you had to do to get it. That's what I'm saying. That's why these old folks is worried, man. They're like, yo, it's so easy now for y'all to get a hold of this. It could turn out to be something dangerous. That's where they are. So, yeah, no, one day, man, the magazines, they're going to be like, yo, we need to start doing an ad campaign down there in Louisiana. That's the first time ever anybody going to go down to Louisiana and try to encourage people to read. All right, this next story is from business or tech or both. I'm Dan from Axios. And last week I wrote that Twitter is no longer worth anywhere close to the $44 billion that Elon Musk paid for it just two months ago. Now, to be clear, that's not me saying that. No, it's a valuation judgment that comes from Fidelity, which was one of the big outside investors that helped Musk finance his takeover. The firm holds its Twitter stock in several mutual funds and disclosed that it marked down the value of those shares by 56% as of the end of November, which is just four weeks after the deal closed. A few things to know. First, Fidelity doesn't necessarily have any inside information on Twitter, like its ad revenue or how much Musk is saved by firing most of its employees. Instead, the calculations are largely based on the stock performance of comparable companies, like Snapchat or Facebook. Two, Musk can't be too surprised by what Fidelity did, because remember, he spent months trying to back out of the deal. Yeah, he claimed it was because he was lied to about the number of spam bots on the platform, but really, it was because he knew he had overpaid, and then after he realized he had overpaid, the larger market for tech stocks tanked, which means he had overpaid by even more. Three, Twitter is not publicly traded, so it doesn't necessarily matter if it's worth $44 billion or $4 billion at this moment. But Tesla, Musk's other company, or one of Musk's other companies, that is publicly traded, and its investors have lost a ton since he decided to buy Twitter, with many worried that he's distracted or that he'll need to sell off even more Tesla stock to pay off the debt he took on for Twitter. Sure, Musk says he won't do that, but it's a promise he's made before and then broken before. The bottom line here is that one of the world's smartest people made a pretty bad deal, and so did some of the world's largest investors. Why do you think he is one of the world's smartest people? The greatest frustration in this whole thing is this man is showing you that he ain't that smart, right? I'm not saying he's stupid. I'm not saying he's a fool. I'm just saying he is not one of the world's smartest people. We have no evidence of this, right? Okay, now, I admit, I approach when people talk like that about folks from the standpoint of somebody who has spent his whole life having people tell him how smart he is, right? I don't even necessarily agree with them about that, right? This is what I've been told. So as a result, and I think we've talked about this before in these other situations, if you're going to tell me that you're smarter than me, you better be right, okay? 
Now, with Elon Musk, let me take a half step back before we get back to Elon Musk, okay? People like to write stories about me that in a lot of ways I wish they wouldn't because I think they're somewhat misrepresentative of what I'm doing. But you guys have read them. He's the smartest guy in sports. The smartest guy in sports media. Da da da. Again, I don't even know if that's true. Okay, but he's the smartest guy in all the in the, in the space. Okay. Y'all don't be saying he's one of the smartest people in the world. And I ain't never done nothing as stupid. And spend $44, million, $44 billion on Twitter and then trying to burn it down. All right? And if I did, whatever the equivalent of that was, y'all wouldn't keep calling me the smartest person in sports media. It wouldn't happen. You know why? Because it would obviously not be true. Because how stupid would I have to be to do something that is the equivalent of spend $44 billion on Twitter and then burn the whole thing down? Okay? So you would hope that at some point we could stop the, wow, these tech guys are super geniuses, right? Some of them are really lucky and in the right spaces. That's not to say that they don't possess some measure of intelligence in the first place, right? But Mark Zuckerberg started with the idea of let's put up a website with pictures of girls, because people like to look at the girls on campus. It's a pretty good idea. It turned into what it has turned into. But not because Mark Zuckerberg was so damn smart. It just worked out that way. Now, what I think happens with Musk is Musk makes products that make you think about smart people. Rockets, electric cars. You know what I mean? Like it all sounds like the future. So your thing is, wow, this guy must be a really, really, really smart person, okay? Now, never mind the fact that at some point he's going to run the equivalent of some kind of pump and dump on Tesla. And I say that because the world is not at a place to sustain the battery production that's going to be required for all this electric vehicle stuff that we're talking about. Like, it takes a lot of minerals out of the ground, and at some point we're not going to have any left. And so the early adopters in that game are going to get out before they realize that shortage comes, Right? I don't know if he thought about that, whatever. I don't know. I felt like bringing that little detail up. Anyway, just stop telling me how damn smart Elon Musk is while he's doing the dumbest shit I've ever seen. All right, our last story. No audio for this one, but it comes uh, right up your alley, boats from The Economy. I'll read a bit to you. It's from The New York Times. The title of the article is Wave of Job Switching Has Employers on a Training Treadmill. In November 2021, more than 4.5 million workers voluntarily left their jobs, according to government data. The most in two decades that the government has been keeping track. That number has slowly been declining in recent months, but is still far higher than before the pandemic. The churn has been particularly high in low-wage sectors such as leisure and hospitality, where intense competition for labor led workers to pursue better-paying opportunities. All that turnover has taken a toll on productivity for individual companies and perhaps for the economy as well. You know, at some point, people are going to look up and be like, wow, you know, millions of people died and a lot of them used to work and now they can't. Like at some point, people are going to look up and recognize what this has really done. Like I thought when the pandemic first hit now, almost three years ago, that we'd be a lot more locked down and take care of it because dead people can't buy stuff and dead people can't work. And all they really care about is whether you buy stuff and whether you go to work. And somehow, even the most hyper-capitalistic among us didn't quite get the long game on that. And, you know, we kind of wound up where it is that we are. 
And so we've seen all the effects that this has had on the labor market and the labor shortage that it has created. And now we start talking about, like, wow, they can't train these people because then, you know, and then after you train them, they get there. And then they decide they're going to go do something else because they find some better opportunity. And so these businesses just wind up in some like crazy holding pattern. And guys, the solution for you is pay your people more. Like in the end, what you're going to have to do if you want to keep people and not have to keep doing this, you're just going to have to pay them more money. Like every this is the thing about people that's interest that, that becomes interesting is. So if you got a recipe for a cake and, and the cake needs two eggs, you can't make that with one egg, okay? But if you run a cake-making business, you'll convince yourself to think that one person can make 10 cakes a day or whatever it is, right? You'll, you, can, you can make yourself believe that two people can do the job of one in a way that you cannot make yourself believe that two eggs can do the job of one. And so as a result, when all this stuff happens, they just kind of like, oh, okay, well, we'll just get this other person to do one and a half or two times the job, and then we'll go there. Except people are like, no, we're not doing that anymore. We don't feel enough of an emotional attachment to this operation to invest ourselves like that. So we're not going to do that. Okay, well, what are you going to have to do to get these two eggs? You're going to have to pay for two eggs. And I don't know if you've been to the store lately, but eggs are really expensive. This is what's happened. And so we have seen at many turns that companies are realizing they have to do more, but they're doing so so begrudgingly. And where they don't want to do it is in the non-professional sector. That's where they're the most reluctant, it feels, to just go up and pay people because they don't think those people deserve that level of respect. Well, guess what? You're going to have to. Otherwise, you're going to be running up the down escalator forever. Just pay a little bit extra. They put, a, they put a coin box on the up escalator. Okay, you're just going to have to put something in it to get up or take forever going up the steps. Your call. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All right, voicemail time, an oldie but a goodie. Tell us about that time you went up against a future pro. Bo, you ever play against a future pro? I watched some future pros. Uh, I, I didn't get even good enough to get to the point where you would wind up in an actual competition against a future pro. But I saw people who look like pros playing against me play against future pros. Whew, that could be a doozy. Well, thankfully, plenty of our listeners have gone up against future pros. Here's the first one. Yo, what's up, Bo? My name is Bobby Hill out of Clinton, North Carolina. And, you know, back in 1988, I was playing for this. I was in the eighth grade playing for this school, Sampson Middle School. And I was six feet tall. I shot up real fast, and I stopped growing. So I was one of the tallest people in my um, my team. We played this team from close to Kenton, North Carolina, Savannah Middle School. They had this guy, he was six feet, five inches tall in eighth grade, you know, and he was out there banging, crossing over, shooting threes. I had to guard him because I was the tallest person on the team, so you know how that went, you know, and he dropped 42 on us. You know, we took that hell, they did us pretty bad. Okay, fast forward a couple of weeks later, we had to play them again at their place again, and the guy has a cast on his left arm, and we thought we had a chance. 
So who's going to do something? Wrong. This dude came crossing up again, banging, drop-stepping, and as you imagine, they beat us pretty bad again. And the guy's name? Jerry Stackhouse. He was a beast. Six, five, eight grade. <laughs> and y'all know what happens after that. Hey, I mean, I have to say, you got to six feet and didn't grow anymore. It sounds like Stack was the same. Like, he about 6'5 now, right? You can take a measure. As soon as he said kissed, and I was like, oh, this is probably stacked because I don't feel like a Reggie Bullock story would be nearly as entertaining. What I want to know is, A, why was Stack still out here hooping with a cast? And number two, how exactly did he go about getting this cast on his left hand because it's entirely possible he got it from, from stealing off on somebody. Like, I am glad that your story about your encounter with future professional Jerry Stackhouse was about playing basketball as opposed to Jerry Stackhouse saying, after the game, I'm going to whoop your ass. And then you go outside, and then true to his word, Jerry Stackhouse whoops your ass. Because we got a line of stories that Jerry Stackhouse explained to somebody he was going to whoop their ass, and then outside ass whooping did, in fact, uh, uh, commence. But if you got out of the game against Kinston without fighting, you, you, you're a winner. Like, don't, 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 don't ever let anybody tell you that you didn't win that day. I think you did. You obviously know that area very well. We did get a Reggie Bullock story, but it did not make the cut. <laughs> uh, <laughs> here is the next one. I was a grad student at the University of Michigan in the early 2000s. I would go to the field house and play basketball on a pretty regular basis. I'm a basic good athlete, played basketball in high school, did no um, amazing fanfare or anything, but could always handle myself in the gym. One day, Braylon Edwards is on the other team. Obviously, he can dunk. He can do all the great athlete things. Um, great basketball player, but not you know a college-level basketball player like he was as a, as a footballer. But my lasting memory from guarding Braylon Edwards was Someone throws the ball, you know, half court um, and hits mid court, and I go jumping up for this ball, thinking I might have a chance to steal it. And Braylon goes flying up. I'm jumping, he's jumping, but we're doing very different jumping things. <laughs> and his big muscly behind essentially goes right into my nose, into my face, because. His vertical leap and my vertical leap are very different, and he was put on this earth to catch a ball like that over the middle of a basketball court, a football field, or wherever the hell the ball is. <laughs> so, you guys may not know this, but let me tell you who was throwing a few alley-oops in his day to Braylon Edwards. Our good friend, Vinny Goodwill. Yeah, yeah, Vinny, 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 you know, Vinny's a Detroiter of that time. Vinny does, Vinny does some hooping uh, with Braylon Edwards. I'd be curious to know his stories about throwing oops to Braylon Edwards over um, unsuspecting people. But yeah, nah, man, I having Braylon Edwards' booty on my nose is not, it's not how I'd like to spend an afternoon. It's, 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 it's no, it's not that at all. All right, last one. So I went to Penn State. And had some time in uh, intramurals, right? We were like the kings of our land, and it's always a good time. It gets pretty competitive up there. So we had the honor of being blessed with a visit by future NBA star Luol Dang. He's at Blair Academy at the time, 16 years old. 
I'm probably about like 23, 24. So I'm thinking I could just, you know, get down to the fundamentals and basics. You know, when I tell you game 16, that man gave me 15 points, three-pointers, spins, alley-oops. That's the most embarrassed I've ever been in my life on the court, and my friends still talk about it to this day. I am 44 years old now, and we still talk about the time I got dangled. <laughs> Kang Dangalang was cold. Like, as a, as a player of that age range, like, you got to remember, Kang Dangalang was the number two player in the 2003 recruiting class where number one was LeBron James. Like, like that, was, that was the caliber of player um, that he was. But that reminds me of a, a very similar story, but it kind of goes in a different direction. So my brother went to graduate school at the University of Iowa. And he would talk about this kid named Tyree Davis that would come hoop at the gym. And he said, when Tyree Davis, 15 years old, he had an encounter with a future pro. And the future pro was Brad Lowhouse. And I know a lot of you would think about Brad Lowhouse. Oh, big white stiff. Yeah, maybe. But he was still like 6'10 and an NBA player, right? My brother saw Tyree Davis bang on Brad Lowhouse when Tyree Davis was 15 years old. Tyree's middle name is Ricky. That was Ricky Davis. Like, I would love Ricky Davis' encounter with a future pro the time I banged on Brad Lowhouse. Brad Lowhouse' story of his encounter with a future pro when he was a pro was getting banged on by Ricky Davis. You be seeing a lot of things at them college field houses, dog. A lot of them. But hey, Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Dan Stasek and Parker Owens handling things behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Samantha Cole of Vice. Check out their story on the Louisiana law requiring government idea to view Pono. Um, also, thanks to Dan Primack of Axios. Check out his story on Fidelity slashing Twitter's value by 56%. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out the right time with Bomani Jones podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The right time with Bomani Jones.